It's the time of year when we're all thinking about goals and priorities. Now is the time to plan your next trip. Whatever kind of travel fills you up, whether it's lounging on the beach, connecting with family and friends, or going on a foreign adventure, Expedia has the tools you need to plan a great trip. Download the Expedia app or visit Expedia.com to start planning. You do need to be a OneKey member to use price tracking. Signing up is easy and free. Expedia, made to travel. Building a portfolio with Fidelity Basket Portfolios is kind of like making a sandwich. It's as simple as picking your stocks and ETFs, sort of like your meats and other topics, and managing it as one big juicy investment. Mmm, now that's pretty good. Learn more at fidelity.com slash baskets. Investing involves risk, including risk of loss. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSC SIPC. I'm Oprah Winfrey. Welcome to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. I believe that one of the most valuable gifts you can give yourself is time. Taking time to be more fully present. Your journey to become more inspired and connected to the deeper world around us starts right now. After choosing Sue's latest book for our book club, it was obvious she has a true gift, a calling even, as a writer. But that calling went unheeded for many years. Being an author would be a dream deferred. Born in 1948, Sue grew up in the small town of Sylvester, Georgia, along with three younger brothers. They were a devout family. Her father and grandfather were both Southern Baptist deacons, and her mother taught Sunday school. At 20, Sue married her college sweetheart, had two children, and became a nurse. But she could not shake the feeling that she had missed her calling. And so, on the morning of her 30th birthday, Sue announced to her husband and children that she was going to become a writer. But she was not an overnight success. She honed her craft for more than two decades. Her first three books were spiritual memoirs, then a turning point. In 2002, at the age of 53, Sue published her first novel, The Secret Life of Bees. As many of you know, it became a literary sensation, selling more than six million copies and spending more than two and a half years on the New York Times bestsellers list. With eight books to her name, Sue continues to delight her millions of readers with rich words that offer inspiration and hope and run deep with spiritual meaning. Of course, we're going to talk about the book, The Invention of Wings, but I really wanted to talk to you about what we talk about uh, mostly on Super Soul Sunday, is that, that path, finding that path for ourselves and being able to discover the essence of who we really are. So this is a quote from your very first memoir, uh, written more than 25 years ago. You say, there have been moments in my life when I sat in the utter quietness of a deserted room and had the noise of a fireworks show going on inside me. And there have been rare times when I stood in a crowd of noisy people and tapped into a deep inner silence. It is this interior quietness a silence within us that is a door through which God can come to us. So I want to know, how did you first discover that door through which God can come to us? I think this was the largest discovery of my life. It changed me dramatically. When I was 29, I happened to read the work of Thomas Merton. Merton. Mm -hmm. And 
It was an utter surprise to me to discover this amazing interior life inside of us. I had grown up a Protestant, mm -hmm. a Baptist church. Like I did, yes. Going to Sunday school. Um, I was going to Sunday school, Baptist training union, Wednesday night prayer service, <laughs> yeah, all exactly. of that. Exactly. Every week. Every week. Um, and then I read this book, and it revealed to me something I had not known, that we have this immense interior life inside of us. We could call it the life of the soul. I think poets and mystics and people have been trying to figure out what to call this for a long time, but there is an inner silence in it, and there is an incredible mystery floating in it, mm -hmm. and I um, was lured by that, mm -hmm. and I have been on this journey ever since because I think this is where the divine lives in us, mm -hmm. is in this interior place. And yes, yeah, so I've been seeking that and finding it. So what happened when you first started to read Merton is that your perception, the way you were raised, Baptist church, just as I was, started to open up and God became bigger, not just up there, but became more expansive and a mystery, the mystery, the great mystery. Yeah, the yeah. great mystery. Yes, it became more and more en encompassing and expansive. And um, how did that show itself in your actual life? Well, I began to read the classics of spirituality, mainly of the Western Christian tradition. That's how I began, and I began to haunt monasteries. I um, I used to joke, oh, well, you know, my middle name is Monk. People, why are you going to these places? Mm -hmm. Well, my name is yes. Monk. <laughs> but in truth, I was drawn to these places because they were concentrations of um, silence and stillness and prayer and this connection to that great mystery that I wanted to find, that I wanted to relate to. Mm -hmm. And so I began to write. And I think this is my my deepest prayer, mm -hmm. is to be able to try to give some expression to what's inside of myself. And yeah. so I began to write. Yeah, I remember Rain Wilson on this show saying, there's no difference between art and prayer. And that's how you pray, is through your writing. That's how I pray. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are many ways to pray. I think of Merton's prayer. The, he said, the sky is my prayer, the birds are my prayer, the wind and the trees is my prayer. Mm -hmm. And that's how I feel. I mean, it's all prayer to me. There's no separation again. It's writing. When I write, mm -hmm. I pray. Mm -hmm. um, as the, It's the attention of the heart. Ooh, that is such a great description of what prayer really is. As you said it, it just went, <laughs> aha, aha, bing, bing. Uh, it's the attention of the heart. So when did you start to feel this this yearning? You know, the reason I do this show, and I, 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 first of all, is because of my own yearning and need for it, but also I see it as an offering because I feel and have felt for a very long time during those years I was doing the Oprah show that there was a yearning for something more. Did you feel that when you were a young mother and a nurse, the yearning for something more? I absolutely did. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think sometimes you feel homesick at home kind of feeling. Mm. It's, it manifests like a restlessness. The soul often speaks through, at least for me, through longing. Yeah. And when the soul longs, you know, it's trying to tell you something. But I think the soul speaks 
uh, through what pulls us, that allure, yeah. the longing, the restlessness. Yes, and often, I remember too, there are so many people who relate to this. I remember when I was a young reporter in Nashville, and every day I would get up and I'd go out and cover the stories, and I was on the news, and it felt so out of alignment for me. I always knew that there was something more for me to do because, you know, my friend Gail, who we met at the same time there, she loved it, she loved it, she felt so at home with it, she was so inquisitive and curious and loved it. And for me, it felt like I'm in the wrong space. I felt sort of out of alignment. I'm wondering if when you were a nurse, which is such an honorable calling, mm -hmm. and for people who are supposed to be doing that, nobody can do it better. Did you feel out of alignment being a nurse as I felt being mm -hmm. a reporter? I did. Mm -hmm. um, I felt that I was not in my place of belonging. Yeah. And that is a big thing for me, um, to be in my place of belonging. In fact, all of my characters are always looking for their place of belonging. Mm -hmm. I think this is the, the big journey. And I was looking Ooh, for that's that. so good. Yeah. We all are looking for where do I belong? Yeah. What do I belong to? I mean, what is faith if not paying attention to what we belong to? Yeah. So I think that's when I was a nurse, which is the most noble thing in the world. There isn't any, um, any, any greater sacrifice than giving yeah. your time and your energy to the helping and healing mm -hmm. of other people. I know. I wanted it to work. But... I felt out of line. I felt like I wasn't in that place of belonging, and it just took me a while to. Were you to a good return. nurse? Um, I was a pretty good nurse. I cared, mm -hmm. you know. I I did my best, mm -hmm. but um, you know when you're not in your place of belonging, you know eventually. Yeah. And then that homesickness starts for your real home. But when I began to write, mm. it was a homecoming, of mm -hmm. course. So talk about your thirtieth birthday. You speak of it being a turning point for you. You also called it your great absurdity. Yes. So talk about the 30th birthday. <laughs> well, I marched into the kitchen where my husband was getting our two toddlers to eat their cereal and um, announced and made my big enunciation, I'm going to be a writer. And I was getting in touch with that creative desire inside of me. And I began to understand that I was going home. I was going to write because that had been an innate desire in me as a child. You know, you find this little light in yourself, and then, of course, you lose it, and you have to refind it, and you lose it. I mean, that's part of finding yeah. our place of belonging. Yeah. But I walked in. And, and for you, it was writing? It was writing, of course. And when I um, made this announcement in the kitchen, you know, my husband said, oh, that's that's great, you know, and, and, continu and continued to, to, get, them to, children, their, yeah. get yeah. them to eat their cereal. And that was it. So... I didn't know anything about writing. I called it so my great absurdity. So you hadn't been writing all along? You hadn't been writing little things? No, I kept a journal from time to time. Um, that was something I had done as a child. When I was a, a little girl, I used to write little stories mm -hmm. and newspapers and all kinds of things. But until I was um, 30, I really had not pursued it. I had walked away from it. Were you afraid to make that announcement? And did you think by making such an announcement, such a pronouncement, that that would then propel you into doing it, actually? I think it does help yeah. when we make that kind of statement. It's an enunciation to ourselves, to the powers that be, mm -hmm. you know, to the divine. This is my intention. So I think it helps to say our intention out loud. And then the moment I said it, of course, I thought, 
what do I know about this? It is a great absurdity, but everybody needs a great absurdity, at least one of them, right? One of the things you write is that there is no place so awake and so alive as the edge of becoming. Can you explain what you mean by that? Whatever brings us alive is something we should follow. You know, it's what we have a great affinity for. It's what pulls us. It's what uh, we long for. It, it feels like it has an inner necessity to it sometimes. Mm -hmm. And when we pursue that, when we get close to that, I think um, we are on the edge of becoming and we do wake and we become alive. Mm -hmm. So whatever brings us alive, we should pay attention to that. Yeah, Dwana Smallwood, who danced with Alvin Ailey and was on the show once, and I remember asking her, you know, why did you dance or how did you become a dancer? And she said, it is my oxygen. Mm -hmm. I have to do it. I have to do it. And so you describe it, writing, as your small, true light. Yeah, it can be so many different things. Often it isn't your profession. It may be something outside of that. Do you believe everyone has the small, true light? I do. I think we all have something that pulls the soul and that we can give and contribute, something that lights us up. And when we talk about it, you can often see the lights come on in yeah. people. And we have to stop sometimes, pause, hit the stop button, and really listen to ourselves, listen to the yearning mm -hmm. in ourselves. It's talking to us. Mm -hmm. um, I was in Greece in 1993. I made this trip to Greece. And I was on the island of Crete. And we went to this little Greek Orthodox convent, very old. There's a tree there that um, is sacred to these nuns. And this little nun, about 4'11", came over and she was trying to explain to us that there's a tradition that you go up to the tree and you ask for the thing, and she described it like this, in the bottom of your heart. In the bottom of your heart. Ask for, I think what she was trying to say was, ask for the deepest thing in yourself. Yeah. But it came out, ask for the thing that lies in the bottom of your heart. And I never forgot that. And I thought, how many women have this thing that lies in the bottom of their heart that they aren't paying attention to, that wants to be there, that wants a place in their life. Yeah. And so we all took a turn, that, uh, the women I was traveling with, and we went up under this tree where there's this amazing icon of, of Mary, and we asked for the thing in the bottom of our hearts. And I blurted out, I want to be a novelist. It kind of took me by surprise. I want to be a novelist. I want to be a novelist. Sometimes it's that simple that you take a moment and you ask yourself, what's the thing that lies in the bottom of my heart? And then it, it just comes up. Sometimes it's like that. Yes. How long was the time span from the time you declared at the foot of that tree, I want to become a novelist, and you wrote The Secret Life of Bees? Quite a few years. Mm -hmm maybe seven mm -hmm. or so, I began, work, I, had, uh, I began working on it. I wrote a chapter of it and um, took it to a writer's conference and was told that it didn't really have potential as a novel. Mm. Another failure of courage put it aside, turned it into a short story, and that was it. And, but I went on writing and trying to find my way with this. You know, it was... Um, so, listen, everyone, Sue Monk Kidd who, as you all know, we all know, wrote The Secret Life of Bees, 
that went on to sell more than six million copies in I don't know how many different languages, was on the New York Times bestsellers list, not for weeks, but for two and a half years, uh, you were at mm-hmm. first told no potential to be a novel. Yeah, that would be right. Yeah. <laughs> oh my goodness Aren't you glad you didn't listen? Yeah. Well, I did for a little while, you know? Yeah. I did turn, I mean, I was a novice. This was the first thing, I, piece of fiction I had ever written. And it was the first chapter of the, of the novel. And um, I put it aside. But the Because was it somebody you trusted who said no? It was a be? very esteemed teacher. Yeah. Yes. And so I thought, what do I know? You yes. Know? I'm going to do what he said. Well, it was only later by, I think, a great serendipity for me that I found my way back into that novel and reclaimed my own understanding of what I was supposed to do here. You know, Mm -hmm. we have to listen to our own creative instincts, but it doesn't hurt to listen to a teacher once in a while because the truth was I wasn't really ready to write that book. I I went on writing for another three years finding my voice as a fiction writer before I came back and wrote the novel. I thought it was interesting, too, that you described your time as a nurse or your decision to become a nurse as a failure of courage. I did because I knew that I wanted to be a writer since I was a child. But when it came time to go to college and make these choices, I chose something traditional, safe. 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 I chose that. It was a failure of courage for me, I think. Was it really, um, you know, a, a failure of courage or was it you just being practical? It was both. It was both. both. I mean, I look. I didn't think of it at the time as a failure, as a failure of courage. Of courage. Yes. It was only later that you look back and, and you said, think, you I know, whipped out on myself. Yeah, courage is um, is another important component in all of this. The courage to ask that question: mm-hmm. What lies at the bottom of my heart? Mm-hmm. The courage to set that intention, to announce it, to yeah. make the enunciation somewhere, yeah. and even if it takes our own breath, yeah. we should take our own breath once in a while. Oh, I love that. We should take our own breath once in a while. And also, as Maya Angelou says, courage is the most important of the virtues because without it, you can't practice anything else. You know, I heard her speak long years ago Mm -hmm. in North Carolina. I I traveled from South Carolina just to hear her. Uh And she she said, I'll never forget it. I wrote it down in my notes that day. She (laughs) said, it only takes three things to be a writer. You got to have something to say. You got to have the ability to say it but you've got to have the courage to say it at all. And that's the hardest one. And I thought, uh-huh, I, I understand that. Wow. And it's not just the courage to voice ourselves. Yeah. It's the courage to voice our authentic self. Mm-hmm. Not what we think ought to be said, but the real truth of our soul. Macy's Mother's Day gift guide has the perfect gift to make mom feel special. Shop by price, like 25 and under to 100 and under. Category, like fragrance, handbags, and more. Or gift lists, like for the mom who has everything. Gifts that are already wrapped and ready to be gifted and for grandma. Get top gifts like Dolce & Gabbana Devotion, Eau de Parfum, Coach Floral Printed Leather Cassie Crossbody Bag, and Le Creuset Shallot Dutch Oven. Shop at Macy's.com slash gift finder. The next generation of influential Black voices can be found on NPR's new collection, Black Stories, Black Truths. 
Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of Blackness from NPR. Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of struggle. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations, there's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Stories should never be about us without us. Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR, wherever you get podcasts. Discover why critics are calling Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, the best film of the franchise. What a wonderful day! It's a jaw-dropping spectacle that demands to be seen on the biggest screen possible. I need to go. Hang on. It is our time. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, now playing only in theaters. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Oh, the charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. Well, I think one of the most important questions, and so many people here have said it, Deepak uh, Chopra, when I was on my way to India, was doing an interview with me for the India Times, and he said, I want you to answer this question, who am I? I mean, it took me three days to answer it. Because <laughs> I know he didn't want me to say, I know I can't say, I am a talk show host. I am a, that. all the labels mm -hmm. that I have given myself and received from the world. And you had a moment when you were uh, in the car on the way to the post office, right? <laughs> Where you ask yourself that question. Yeah. Can you tell us that story? Yeah, well, I'll never uh, forget that moment. Um, it was an aha for me because I was driving along and I had been grappling a lot with um, that question, who am I? I've been trying to answer that through memoirs for about three decades, you know? <laughs> okay, so I don't feel bad about three days. Yeah, I'm so telling right. you, that question threw me. <laughs> but that day, I remember thinking, well, the census takers all ask these questions. Who are you? Well, you say, I'm someone's wife, I'm yes. someone's mother, yeah, yeah. I'm someone's sister, I'm someone's daughter, um, I'm a writer, I'm, I'm a teacher, I'm this, I'm that. Yeah. But is that who we really are? Yeah. I mean, those are our external selves. And the reality is, we're something much larger than that. Our true identity is in God. Our true identity it's the true self inside of us with a big T. Yes. It's this part of us that is the authentic and deepest and most transcendent self. And I don't know what to call it. Merton called it the true self, so I'll go with that. Okay. You know? But um, it's not these external selves. It's not these ego selves. It's something else. And so maybe the whole point of life in one way is to discover that and to align ourselves with that, you know? 
to become more of that. This is what's so amazing about that story. You know, lots of people have had near-death experiences. I've talked to them. They've gone to heaven. I've said they saw God. I've talked to them. They get bumped on the head. Their heart stops, whatever. And you're just driving to the post office. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's so ordinary. Yes. That's what I love about the spiritual life is that it's so utterly ordinary, ordinary yes. and it should be really. It's yes. both um, extraordinary and ordinary. Mm -hmm. And sometimes these moments of, of awakening or knowing, they can come to us when we least expect it. You say um, that it's important to be a seeker, but also important to acknowledge when we actually found something. Well, I remember um, this all the seeking I did, especially through my 30s and into my 40s and somewhere nearing my 50s, I remember thinking, it's time to start finding things, you know? <laughs> it's, it's like, there's a hunger in you. And, and I think it's appropriate, you know, to follow that. But we should also be finders at the same time. It's one of those paradoxes that I'm getting more comfortable living with, that we can be a seeker and a finder at the same time. But, you know, we have to acknowledge sometimes that um, this moment is enough. This place is enough. I am enough. Mm -hmm. It's okay. Mm -hmm. And if I never seek or another thing, it's enough. Right. And it grounds us in our own being. It grounds us in um, home. I, I so agree with you, Sue. There are many different ways you can hear it. And a lot of people are hearing this, this, the story of the inner life and discovering the inner life um, through this show and reading various books because being raised in a traditional, uh, you know, myopic path, a lot of people are just now discovering that there is a whole inner life there. But more important than hearing about it, it's being able to live it. Oh, yeah. Being able to live it. How do you put into practice what you now have found? Well, you just do it every day. It's like small daily braveries every day. Yes. You know, you just wake up and remind yourself. I need a lot of reminders, a mm -hmm. lot of prompters, and that's why we have to go to those concentrated, still places. Wordsworth called them spots of time. Ooh, I love in his that. Um, poem, I think it was the prelude, mm -hmm. and he, he said we need these spots of time to remember that we are holy, that this is holy. When we return to that to, mm -hmm. and have these spots of times, I think it emboldens us to go be brave and live that truth. Yes, there's something you say that's so interesting. I think it applies to all of us, really. You say, throughout my life, it seems I've been adept at caring about humanity on a broad global scale while having trouble loving the annoying person who goes to my church, the disagreeable person who lives down the street, or the frustrating member of my own family. So that's what I mean by it's one thing to know this, to hear this information. It's another thing to live it. It's, you know, a lot of people say, oh, I want to go save the children. I want to help the... <laughs> when really in your own backyard, in your own neighborhood, in your own office, there's somebody that needs saving today. Yeah, yeah. and it can be a very small, very ordinary thing, but mm -hmm. that is often what we're asked to do in moment to moment. Sometimes it is, it's usually for me to pause and think, I won't react. 
I won't react right now. I'll just wait a moment. And in that moment of waiting, I return to something. And it's, it's in each moment to moment pausing and returning to that. Yeah, because that's our daily challenge. Oh, yeah. To live the spiritual path yeah. that we seek. And what is the use of spirituality if we don't put it into some kind of practice? You know, what's it for? I love this quote from page 78 of your memoir, When the Heart Waits. You say, the life of the soul evolves and grows as we move. The process isn't a one-time experience, but a spiraling journey that we undertake throughout life. Life is full of cocoons. We die and are reborn again and again. What did you mean by that? I think life is a process of that. You wake up, then you wake up some more. You, you die to oneself, you're reborn. It's an evolution of consciousness. I mean, if you look at the way God created the world, it all, it's always about a seed and a sprout and a flower, and then it goes back to seed. It's mm -hmm. always about process and unfolding. I think we're probably on a journey of um, greater and greater consciousness, mm -hmm. becoming more compassionate, more loving. And that is a lifelong spiraling process. So you were having awakenings. 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 I mean, you could describe them as cocoons. I mean, yes. you go into a cocoon and some new part of yourself emerges. And it's not that you leave oneself behind. It's that it's an integration. All of these selves come together and um, create who you are eventually. But yeah, I've had many awakenings, um, many little deaths and rebirths in my life. So it's interesting, when you have come across the daily challenges of life, do you immediately go to prayer? Do you go to that inner contemplative part of yourself? Sometimes I do, but as I said, uh, prayer is so um, large for me. It's such an immense thing. Taking a walk is often what I do, mm -hmm. you know, to walk along this corridor by the Gulf yeah. um, every day. That's a prayer, you know, putting feet to it. Mm -hmm. um, that feels like I'm getting in sync with something inside myself. Anything that takes me to that interior place, that true self, that mm -hmm. divine life inside. You know, as you're speaking right now, I just had a, an epiphany. And oh, <laughs> I just had one. That true prayer, and Marianne Williamson had said this in her book, Return to Love. I remember she said, I try now not to just pray on my knees, but to be constantly in the space of being on my knees. And as you were speaking, I thought, what real prayer is, is what you said earlier. It's attention of the heart and so anytime you are fully present, you are in prayer. I believe that. I just got yes. that. Oh, I definitely oh. believe that. Yeah. yeah. And it's anytime the quality of the attention It's the too. quality of the it's presence. It's important. Yeah. It's yes. not just, oh, I'm paying attention. Yes. It's the quality it's a, it's of that a, it's attention. It's a level of reverence there. Attention is just about everything. Yeah. You know, what we pay attention to in this life becomes our God somehow. Yes. You know? what we give the attention of our heart to matters deeply. So when we give the Ooh, attention so good, of so our good, heart so just to ourselves or our worries or our fears, we become that. We become what we pay attention to. That's so good. That is a tweetable moment. That is a tweet tweet. 
We become what we pay attention to. Wow, that's amazing. Okay, here's a question for you. Have you become the woman you wanted to be? I am becoming that woman, yes. And I can own that at 60. And I think for me, I have this phrase that I call the old woman. And I say that with great fondness. Um, my daughter and I went on travels and wrote a book, Traveling with Pomegranates. And on those journeys, I was searching for that old woman, the woman I wanted to grow into. She's wise, she's bold, she's strong and resilient. She knows her voice, she speaks it, and she stands by it. Mm. Um, this is the old woman for me, you know. She's distilled down. Um, in my novel, The Invention of Wings, there's a moment where Handful looks at Sarah, my character at the end, yes. and she says, she's been boiled down into a good, strong broth. <laughs> you know? I, I, I want to be that. I want to be a good, strong broth that has those qualities of the old woman I went off searching for. And so you would say, though, still that you are a woman becoming. Definitely. What is your definition of God? That's a tough one. Yeah. Well. Or not so tough. <laughs> God is an ineffable mystery, for one thing. But I do think of God as that deepest part of us and the realm in which we exist. It's, God is personal to me, and God is consciousness beyond me. I mean, I think God encompasses so many things for me. Mm -hmm. um, but, but I also feel that we need images of God. We need symbols. We need yes. ways to relate. We need language. And so that's why, you know, William Blake said, um, we can see the earth in a grain of sand and heaven in a wildflower. It's like that. It's like taking this ineffable mystery and making it accessible to us in distilled ways through mm -hmm. an image. It's like heaven in a wildflower. Mm -hmm. How do you define grace? I think of grace, well, as, as everywhere and unexpected. And it's this moment when something breaks through to us that feels undeserving. Some goodness, some love, some eloquence of life. Life speaks to us, you know. I think life is always talking to us yeah, and very eloquent about it. We just can't often hear it. But moments like that. What do you think is the purpose of us all being here, humans? What, what is that, the purpose of human experience? Well, I have no idea really, but I would guess. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, why are we here? Yeah. Um, I mean, that's, that's a hard one, but I... You ask yourself that. I know you have yeah, so oh, much. Of course. I, of course I ask myself that about my life all mm -hmm. the time. And I'm going to go back and say that I think it is to love and to create. It's to um, align ourselves with, with God, with the divine. And that is mainly through to love and to create. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's love it. Love and to create. Because that's what our soul is here to do. Love and to create. What do you know for sure? <laughs> well, you know, as I get older... I try to love the uncertainties more <laughs> than mm -hmm. I do the certainties. Um, what's popping in my head 
is something I read by Stephen Hawking not too long ago. He said that real genius is radical humility. And the reason he said this was because he said, when you humble yourself before what you don't know, yep. you open yourself to possibility. Mm-hmm. But having said that, <laughs> having said that, I guess if I know anything for sure, it's that what we pay attention to matters. Mm. It's that when it's all said and done, compassion and love are what we're going to care about. Mm -hmm. The love I gave, the love I received, that's probably the most important thing. Mm -hmm. Um, Trying to be a human family, you know. Mm -hmm. Those things, I know for sure that they matter. And I guess I would say, I say this to myself all the time, just to be is holy. Mm -hmm. Just to live is a gift. I know that for sure. Mm. That resonates so deeply with me. Thank you. It's been a gift to me, Oprah. Thank you. I'm Oprah Winfrey, and you've been listening to Super Soul Conversations, the podcast. You can follow Super Soul on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. If you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. Join me next week for another Super Soul Conversation. Thank you for listening. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on AutoTrader too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.